0: slash mvbible or youtube at youtube.com slash mvbible magic valley bible church built on god's word
1: take your bibles and open them to mark chapter 6 we are moving quickly through the gospel of mark nate You know, I do appreciate that song. Nate introduced that hymn to us uh, when he came, and of course that was a timely hymn for my own soul, just thinking about the loss of Taylor and and in the midst of all that. So that has uh, ministered to my soul, and I appreciate that. The title of today's sermon is Jesus Marveled at Their Unbelief. Follow along as I read our six verses that compose our study this morning, starting in verse 1. The Holy Word of God reads this Jesus went out from there and came into his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and the many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles as these performed by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us, and they took offense at him? Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. And he could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. And he was going around the villages teaching. Let us pray. Father, again, we come to you knowing that you have given us your eternal word, knowing that your word helps us think rightly about this world, what it means to to have faith, and also what it looks like for those who don't believe, such as the case in our text this morning. Kind of marvel at this as well, Lord, just in light of all that you have performed, and yet they still didn't believe. Spirit, teach us this morning. Be with your servant. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. A new chapter in Mark's gospel, a new chapter that that finds itself with a, a different emphasis, Things change when chapter when we get to here, the chapter 6. Remember what we have seen so far up to this point, where you've seen Jesus' power on display. He has healed many. He has healed Peter's mother-in-law from a, a disease. He has healed a leper, both physically and spiritually. He has healed a, a paralyzed man. He commanded violent demons, many of them, out of a man. He even commanded a violent storm to cease. He healed a woman with twelve with a twelve-year hemorrhage. He he raised a twelve-year-old girl from the dead. And in the midst of all that he called twelve disciples to follow him. What we've seen in the midst of those chapters was the importance of faith, of believing in the one who can redeem and save. Remember Mark's emphasis. It's been all about proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Mark chapter 1. And though there was some resistance, especially from the religious leaders of the day, These chapters leading up to chapter 6 seemed to be all in the favor of Jesus Christ, displaying his power and his deity. Yet things are going to change from here on out. The tide will change, and opposition will grow, and unbelief will ensue. It's kind of remarkable when you think about it. The more that Jesus performed his miracles, the more challenge he got and more lack of belief. And what we'll find is more people disbelieving than receiving Christ in faith. Like I said earlier in our prayer, you know, to one degree, this shocks us because all that Jesus displayed in his power to heal and, and showing his command and divine authority over everything, you would think that everybody would run to Christ. But on the other hand, Jesus knew that this opposition would arise. Look to the screen. Matthew 7 tells us very clearly when it says, when Jesus speaks here, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Pretty remarkable when you think about that. When you think about salvation and, and, and the narrow, you, we have a worldly theology out there that, that has the idea that wide is the road to heaven. And yet scripture clearly tells us that narrow is the way. And very few will find it. Wide is the path that leads to destruction and many will enter through it compared to the small way, the narrow way. Like I said, even in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus taught the parable of the sower and the seed. And even as those seed, the word of God, fell on four hearts, three of them abandoned the gospel. Different circumstances, yes, but there's only one good soil where the word of God fell and the person received grace and mercy. One of the principles that we walked away from teaching that parable was the reality that there will be many who will not believe. And I think what he's doing for us, the Matthew passage, and even the parable of the sower and the seeds, is to remind us that don't be surprised when people reject the truth. Where people will flat out refuse grace, mercy, and love and forgiveness. Again, it, 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 it just confounds our mind to think that, that people would say no to heaven, no to peace, no to hope, no to eternal life, no to forgiveness and grace. And the question that this tension of belief and unbelief leaves us, is how are we to understand it? And this is where our scripture steps in. Jesus is, is kind enough to show us, even in this narrative, to help us understand the even his own family, at least at the beginning, didn't believe. Our narrative here of Jesus interacting with his family and others show us how we are to process, unpack this unbelief. For that matter, all of chapter 6 is, is about us processing unbelief. You think about this. When we go through this chapter, we will, we will see the unfolding of all this unbelief. After we get done with this, these verses, we, we see the 12 being commissioned, sent out, and he, he reminds them that they're not going to believe. And then we get the, a reminder of the story of John the Baptist where the unbelief of others killed John the Baptist and took his head. Here in our text this morning, Jesus points to three disastrous and disappointing acts of unbelief that helps us understand exactly what's going on with the unbeliever. Now, all this is the plan and will of God, is it not? Jesus didn't hand out coexist stickers, right? And say that everybody will will come to the fold. We know that the plan of God was to get him to the cross. We know that the way that God has chosen to do that is by using the unbelief of others and the hatred towards him to get him there. And so, the turning... The turning of, of chapter 6 in this in this press towards the cross where opposition becomes to get bigger and darker. I mean, you think about it. For them to rejoice in his coming on that Passover day, Passover week, only to, to scream at him, Crucify, crucify the fickleness of people's hearts. And so the reality, what the text teaches us, and as you look and and, and sift your heart through the Gospels, is, is that it's going to get worse before it gets better. And this chapter marks this change. Now, a little bit of context. Jesus has been been spending his time performing many miracles and displaying his deities in and around Galilee. Verse 1 to Mark 6 tells us that Jesus went from there to his hometown and that his disciples, of course, followed him there. We knew that Jesus grew up in the city of Nazareth. We knew he was born in Bethlehem. All these things, of course, prophetically given knowing exactly what's going on but, but Nazareth I mean, you know if you go with us this spring to Israel you'll we'll travel down i say down because nazareth is is in a bowl and we'll we'll wind ourselves down into this little city uh, of not much significance even today really the only people that go to nazareth are those who are tourists like you and i who see some some biblical significance in visiting such a place But here it was, a small town. Scholars believe roughly about 500 people at this time, a small town, obscure. Most likely, everybody knew Jesus, knew his family. And according to the scripture, this would be the last time that he would visit his hometown. This isn't necessarily a homecoming for him. The parade wasn't necessarily, you would think with all the, the miracles performed, the word getting out, that, that this city would, this town would want to be known by the fact that this is where Jesus grew up. But that's not the case. No celebration. Now, to some degree, leading up to chapter 6, we kind of got a feeling of his family. Remember that incident in Mark chapter 3, in verses 20 and 21. It tells us there that his own family was thinking about him and what was going on and all the commotions. And it says there, and he came home, and the crowd gathered, speaking about coming home, he came back to Peter's house, and the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. And when his own people, literally in the Greek, his, his his family his kinsmen heard of this they went out and and took custody of him for they were saying he has lost his senses and so here they were trying to recover a, a son a brother who was wacky lost his senses in that same chapter, in verse 31, Mary shows up. It says there, then his, his mother and his brothers arrived. And standing outside, they sent word to him and called to him. And, and that wasn't necessarily a, a go, go, go Jesus kind of talk. They were looking to take him home. And what we can take away from, from that is that even Jesus' family didn't understand who Jesus was and his purpose. Beautiful thing about the grace of Christ, one day some of them will. You think about the family of Christ, his half-brothers. Sisters, we say two, or at least two or more, because the word sister there is plural. But one day his brother James will come to faith and lead the Jerusalem church. Another brother, Jude, would believe and also write and be used to, to write a letter and become a leader. His mother, we know, would follow him to the cross and see his, her son crucified only to rejoice in, in his resurrection and seeing his ascension. Of course, that takes some time, but first there was a lot of unbelief. Speaking about Jesus, John 1.11 tells us he came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. And such was the case in our passage here this morning. And what Jesus, like I said, in your outline, you you have three marks to kind of hang truth on, but you see this unfolding of unbelief, these, these disappointing acts of unbelief. It will help us, like I said earlier, to... Get in the mind, why won't they believe those who ignore and even mock Jesus? The first act of unbelief is found in verse 2, and that is unbelief ignores the evidences, and I say plural, right? There's many evidences of Jesus' deity. That's exactly what he was displaying in those earlier chapters. Look again at verse 2. It says, when the when the Sabbath came, he, Jesus, began to teach in the synagogue. That was custom of his. And the many listeners were astounded, were astonished, excuse me, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles as these performed by his hands. Now, you read a verse like that, and you kind of put it through your own perspective. Being a redeemer, being a believer, you would think, oh, this is a great thing. Yeah, we want to know where Jesus got this, but but this is coming from an unbelieving heart. His interaction with his hometown people was much more of a mocking. Now, there's a parallel account in Matthew, and there seems to be one in Luke but remember Mark writes this book about a year into Jesus' ministry. Mark or Luke starts at the very beginning, and you almost got these two instances, and I think scholars agree on this, that there's two instances where Jesus has this interaction with his hometown, and it didn't go well. Matter of fact, in Luke's account, they wanted to take him to the cliff and throw him off the ledge. Yet Jesus returns, according to Mark, this last time. And I think for us to show us just the depth of unbelief. He shows up, the Sabbath came, he went to the synagogue, he began to teach. Remember, he had left as a carpenter. He was a carpenter's son. He worked with his hands. And the gall for him to come back and immediately go to the synagogue and start teaching. They knew his pedigree, right? They knew he didn't have rabbinic teaching. What in the world is this guy doing showing up and starting to teach? And thus you can start to see the questions. Speaking out loud to themselves, these rhetorical questions, which they are starting to to wonder exactly what is he doing And the text tells us that they were astonished. The Greek word literally means amazed. They they couldn't put one and two together. They couldn't understand how in the world can this carpenter son be be, be somebody who can now teach what such means. And they said, where did this man get these things? And, And what is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles as these performed by his hands? Where did this man get these things? It's in the Greek. It points to their questioning Jesus. Where did he get this wisdom and the miracles and, that they heard? How did he perform these things? And by the way, Jesus did perform miracles in his hometown. The text even tells us that. But yet they were still perplexed. Again, I think the problem lies in the close association of who they knew Jesus to be. They knew he was a hard worker, a laborer, and not necessarily a study of the scriptures. They were simply shocked that he entered the synagogue, began teaching without having the proper credentials. Their thoughts and hearts went to doubt. They question his ability, his authority. But in all reality, how could they miss this? And I think that's where unbelief goes. You think about the people that you interact with, just what trips them up of not receiving the grace and the mercy of Christ and how they are, are consumed with maybe a, a minor point in their own thinking and not really grasping which points to the reality that God's got to do something within the unbeliever dead man's heart in order for them to believe. I mean, Jesus had shown them evidence after evidence of his divine power, his divine authority, that he wasn't just another man, but that he was God. Yet they still chose to ignore the truth in front of their faces. And like I said, people even do that today. They hear the truth. They maybe even see the transformation of of somebody they know come to Christ, and yet they choose not to believe. Now, there's some great books in our bookstore, and I brought two of them up here that, that are great tools for us. How many of you guys have read The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel? Very much of a classic. Many of you have done so. Uh, it's just a great, he's a, he was a journalist. He was, it was a man who, who started out with unbelief, trying to disprove this movement called Christianity. You want that in your hands. The other one is maybe more popular for our older crowd. A book that I read, and it was very impactful in my own soul, but you guys know Josh McDowell more than a carpenter, where he, there again, desired to disprove the evidences of Christ and yet comes to know a believer, and we have some resources for you. By the way, let me just give them away, because I kind of, who would like this book? Who would like this book? Maybe if you don't, yep, maybe if you don't uh, know Christ, if you're here this morning and you want to know who Jesus is, who would want this book? That kind of points you out. Who has a friend who needs this book? <laughs> okay, Rosie? Zach, come up here. Man, turn around, Zach. Show me your beard. I want a beard like that. <laughs> little interruption of our sermon here, but these tools, great resources... Some do come to the faith. Some do come to truth. They, of course, point to the life and the power and the redemption that Christ brings. And the text, and more importantly, the scriptures, tells us that this is a spiritual battle. We're dealing with hearts. It's a battle against the enemy who desires to strip away the truth, much like he did with the parable of the sower and the seed. 2 Corinthians 4 tells us about this. Paul says, And even if our gospel was veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I mean, when you're sharing Christ with people, understand the spiritual battle that is happening within that person's life, that you're engaged in a war knowing that the enemy desires to blind the minds of those who don't believe. His motive, of course, is to get as many to not believe. But you and I both know that Jesus has the power to overcome. So unbelief ignores the evidences of Jesus' deity, which naturally leads to questioning, but also leads us to our second act of unbelief, and that is unbelief stumbles over the specifics of Jesus' ministry and, and his, 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 his humanity. Look at verse 3. It says, is not this the carpenter? I mean, they're, they're seeing him in the flesh here, right? Is it, not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James? I say Joseph. This is a shortened version of that, but it's, and Joseph and Judas and Simon, Are not his sisters here with us, and they took offense at him? That word offense literally means stumbling block. They couldn't handle Jesus. They couldn't handle Jesus and his deity, and now they can't even handle his humanity. They're talking to themselves here, and they're questioning, is this not the carpenter? They're questioning his authority and his teaching. Again, rhetorical questions here that, that are really heckling and mocking Jesus. This man is just a carpenter, which a carpenter be somebody who, who used his hands to craft either with wood or with stone. He was an ordinary guy. And then next is what's the kicker? They say the son of Mary. And why was this such an offense? If you know Jewish ways, even in the scriptures, often a son is known by who? By their father. To some degree, they are, they are mocking him. Isn't this the son of the illegitimate child of Mary? Isn't this the one who, who really doesn't have a father? It was an act of unbelief. They were mocking him. And that's as they were saying, we know who our father is, but you don't. And then the identification. He had earthly brothers and sisters James, Joseph, Simon. Acts tells us Jude. And at least two sisters here, again, pointing to the plural aspect of this word. I think scholars ask why aren't the daughters named? Why aren't the sisters named? Most likely, they probably were married and and took on a married name. But the point is, here was a family, and Jesus was part of that family. They saw him as a commoner. In their eyes, nothing nothing special. And so when Jesus taught his authority, when Jesus... Displayed his power, they looked down upon him. They dismissed him. Matter of fact, it goes further into verse three they took offense to him, literally stumbling over what he was saying and doing. Verse four Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives, and in his own household. Notice it's a, a double negative there, not without. A prophet is not without honor, which means respect, believability. In his own town, among his own relatives, and in his own household, they just didn't believe. If anything, you would think the people that knew Jesus the most, would be front and center, wanting to follow him. But that is not the case. They were disgusted. They were angered at what he was doing, and they couldn't understand the plan and the purpose of God in the midst of it. I mean, people do this today, do they not? You hear religions, you hear people say that Jesus was what, just a good man, that he was a great person. They had to do something with Jesus, so they they put him in the good category, maybe somebody to to, to emulate. Some religion said, yeah, we'll, we'll give him a little bit higher status. Maybe he was a prophet. But they all conclude that surely he is not God. So even today, people stumble when they think about Jesus Christ. Unbelief ignores the evidence of Jesus' deity. Unbelief stumbles over Jesus' humanity. And finally, unbelief wastes the opportunity of salvation. Look at verse 5. It says, and he could do no miracle there except that he lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. It's not that their unbelief stifled Jesus. Understand, Jesus. I mean, it's not predicated on their unbelief as he's going to do the miracles or not. The reality is he chose not to, and he walks away. It's much like that verse where it talks about when we walk away from a city with. With, the, with those who are disdained about the gospel that we shake our sandal and the dust off our feet. Oh, I think that they wanted the benefits of Jesus. We see that even today in today's evangelical church. They, the church today wants the benefits of the church but doesn't want the commitment to follow Christ as Lord. They want Jesus, but they don't want to consider the cost to follow Jesus. And by the way, that's not the type of salvation that the scriptures and Jesus preached. Jesus preached, you repent, you believe, you come and you follow me. We're pleaded with scriptures that we are called to be, be sold out to him. That he, rightly, is Lord of our lives. By the way, I, I, I think we find ourselves in that tension where we think that, yeah, Jesus comes alongside, he, he helps me eternally, he saves me, but I think I can do a better job still on the throne room of our life. And in reality, look at your life. How good does it go with you on the throne room of your life? It sucks, Right? stinks. Jesus rightly positioned himself in the heart of believers as being Lord and Savior and King. Verse 6, and he wondered, literally marveled at their unbelief. I don't think this is a lack of his omniscience here. I think it's more for us to understand what is going on when he goes to his hometown where there is no honor, no respect for meaning his own relatives. And I think to some degree that's true today. I mean, I I got family who who just kind of dismisses the pastor in the family, don't want anything to do with this Jesus of the scriptures. He marveled. That word itself is is used 30 times in the gospel and only three of them refer to Jesus. One of them here looking at the unbelief. In his humanity, Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. They had all the evidences. It's much like going to class on on a school day and the teacher says, this will be on your test, and the answer is this. And you sit there and you you look at that, that test question when it comes time for a test, and you start doubting the teacher, thinking that his answer is wrong. And so you, you second guess the teacher and you put down a wrong answer. And yet he looks at your test and he looks at you and says, didn't I tell you that this was the answer? He was amazed at their unbelief. It ends in verse 6, and he was going around the villages teaching. It's also interesting in Mark's gospel. This is the last time he goes to the synagogue. He will go to the villages. He will go to the fields. He will start teaching there. We know that there's a rejection of Israel there. We know that unbelievers continue to hound him. All the evidence, but no belief. Now, what are the takeaways from our passage this morning? And I'm going to give you three of them. For one, don't be discouraged or surprised when there is a massive unbelief. When I proclaim the gospel or when you share the gospel, don't be surprised that they won't rejoice and convert. We know that not everybody will believe but here's the issue, the command is what? Matthew 28, go and make disciples. Go proclaim Christ. Go continue to be faithful to the message. And if you think about it, somebody was faithful to you. Somebody was kind to you to share Christ to you. So continue, even though I'm telling you, you're going to, not gonna have a great batting average, right? Leave that to the Lord. I'm reminded of this, my experience with the Master's College at the time. And we took our Friday evenings and we'd go down to 3rd Street Promenade and we'd share the gospel there. And I was pretty jazzed about all that I was learning at the school and all about Christ and and wanted to proclaim that to, to somebody. And I saw this gentleman sitting on the curb. Um, and I sat down with him with my Big Mac meal. Started sharing my fries with him, which he enjoyed. And I started to proclaim Christ to him. Um, he got so disgusted. he takes the fries that I gave him and he throws them at me and leaves. And I'm thinking to myself, what in the world? And so we go back to Masters and we start reporting about our experiences. And then I have to shamefully say, you know what? I got French fries thrown at me. But I'm reminded in the scriptures that the prophet Jeremiah, who preached over 40 years and not a single convert, you talk about a faithful prophet, a faithful man of God. That's all I have to say don't lose heart. Do not lose heart and keep proclaiming Christ. Two, Jesus grew up. And this is pretty remarkable, not braggadocious. He grew up in all humanity, Philippians 2 tells us. Philippians 2 tells us that have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or the thing to boast, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men. If I was Jesus, which I'm not, right? But if I was Jesus, I would say, listen, you just believe and shut up. Right? The power, the authority, believe me. Receive Christ. Not Jesus. Jesus was humble. A bondservant who came and displayed his glory and went to the cross and died. Finally, I think our, our last takeaway is, is for those who don't believe. How many times is the gospel going to be need to be preached for you to be saved? Jesus and his family, for most of them, they, they looked at this Christ man and, and, and said, I don't want anything to do with him remember having this conversation with my wife, and it's tough to to start digging back in your own brain, but how many times was the gospel shared with you before you actually received it? And I'm thankful by the grace of Christ that there was one more time that somebody shared the gospel with me. And grace was extended, and faith and repentance happened. For you, I don't know. I don't know when the last time is going to be where you go to your deathbed with your unbelief. Do not waste the opportunity to come to Christ. Receive him. Believe him. And trust him. Your continued rejection is all on you. And by the way, judgment will be based on that. Don't waste the time to come to Christ. Your pastor had a long night last night. Five cold blues at the hospital. Dealing with last moments of people's lives. Holding a hand and saying, will you believe? listen, you better get Jesus right because your eternity is based on it. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the text. We know it's dark. We know it's littered with unbelief. And yet that understanding helps us. It helps us understand exactly what's going on in the unbelieving heart. They don't want to believe. They are dead in their sins and trespasses. This is why it must be an act of God to awaken a dead sinner. This is why the truth must be proclaimed where the only redemption that one can have is through Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. Father, use your word. Use the spirit to penetrate those who don't believe. May you humble them. May you bring them low where they recognize that they need you. That they need you as Savior and Lord. That their souls need to be transformed, and saved. Father, I pray for those who do believe. And I pray, Lord, that we don't take that for granted, that we can cherish in the gospel, we can cherish in in Christ Jesus, and continue to be faithful servants who proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in the name who has given us life, who has saved us, who has transferred us from darkness into the kingdom of light. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible.